the following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 87, The Light and the Dark. When Solus touched down, the surface under his feet felt strange to him, crumbling but moist, and there was some light in this place, but it was twilight. He was naked in this world, having nothing but the scabbard and its strap, and inside it, the sword of heaven. The rope he had come in on had merged with him somehow, joined to his navel, Yet somehow it did not hinder him, or in any way, especially, obstruct him, and when he looked along it, the cord went up and up above him, a thousand feet long, retreating far into the sky where it vanished, though by faith Solus knew that it led back to his friends. The knight traversed the strange terrain in search of Celeste. He journeyed for a long while, calling for her. Sometimes he thought he would see a shadow of her in the distance, but when he called to it, the shadow slipped away behind a hill or a tree, which somehow Solus knew of, though he had not the experience of trees in the places where he had dwelled. Celeste, he shouted again, and again he saw her in the distance. Like him, she was naked now, and he called to her, and he held out his hand to her, but she would not come. This confused Solus badly, and he took to a run, looking to the ground for her trail, for the soft surface seemed to hold the image of her footsteps where she tread. In that moment, Solus sensed the Grumark there, and it was a foreboding presence now, and he knew that it was with her. Solus reached around and took the hilt of his sword. If he could get Celeste behind him, then he could protect her. If he could only call her away from the creature, he knew he could get her out. Celeste... What had seemed possible to accomplish quickly proved not to be so. Solus tailed the woman through the twilight world where dark and light were of equal parts. Sometimes he thought he would see her, sometimes only her trail in the soil, sometimes he followed only on faith, only on his resolve to save her, and sometimes he trudged on only because he didn't know what else to do. If you haven't checked out patreon.com slash the iron realm in some time, why not drop by and have a look and see all the latest. I appreciate you each and every traveler, each and every listener. But let me do more for you. Come and partake of all the additional offerings I have at the Patreon site. 
and by your gift, may the Iron Realm continue always to live on. Iron Realm, copyright A.E. Lenzo, is the world's first play-by-podcast RPG campaign. The voice of Celeste in tonight's dramatization was drawn from audio originally created by and offered by Ashley Eddy through freesound.org under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Further information can be found at theironrealm.com or at theironrealm.blogspot.com under this episode's show notes. My sincere thanks as well to you, Ashley, for your masterful contribution to the Iron Realm cause. Secrets of the Maze Master, Maze Master, Maze Master. The wilderness world found by Solus is strange indeed to him, for he is most familiar with the twists, tunnels, and corridors of the endless maze. And yet the Iron Realm is an infinite space, created as countless worlds have been collapsed into a single plain. Any wilderness area in the Iron Realm is often referred to as a territory, and territories are not mapped using the standard graph paper. Instead, use hex paper and under the extras tab, under the heading for this chapter, you can find your own Iron Realm hex paper, developed and designed especially for your adventures in the last realm. The hex paper given is 40 hexes across by 30 hexes down, with each hex upon the page representing 12 miles. And on tonight's secrets, I'll tell you everything you need to know to get started with mapping wilderness and territories in the Iron Realm. If you've got your hex paper ready, let's do a practical exercise. We'll lay down the portion of the map so recorded by Solus upon his entry into the Grumark's domain. So on your hex paper, label it thus, Grumark's domain. That's G-R-U-M-A-R-C-H for Grumark. And under coordinates of this map, label it thus, zero, zero, and put that in parentheses. The coordinates of the map are important if a character or tribe ever moves off the page. Then it will be necessary to begin a new sheet of hex paper which will have different coordinates in relation to the former page. Imagine your current map has a second page just east of it. Then that next page would have coordinates 1, 0. And if one continued traveling east yet another page, that page would have the coordinates 2, 
zero. On the other hand, if a character traveled from the starting page to the west and onto a new page, that next map would have coordinates negative one, zero. And if the character went further west, it would be negative two, zero, and so forth. In this way, a map master could continue to detail a wilderness, territory, or continent as far as desired or necessary. With the first number of the map coordinates representing relative position east or west, and the second number representing a relative position north or south. So you see, increasing that first number by one shows movement to the east, while decreasing it shows movement to the west. And for the second number, decreasing the second number indicates movement to the north, while increasing the second number indicates movement to the south. By this point, it probably goes without saying that the top of the map is considered north, whilst the bottom is considered south, the right-hand side is considered east, and the left is considered west. Most times, when coming into a new territory from the endless maze, it is customary to mark the position that the character or tribe came in from. I indicate this on the hex paper with a spiral which is inscribed fully inside the appropriate hex. So from here on in, during our instruction, I will no longer be referring to the coordinates of the map overall, but instead I'll be referring to the coordinates for individual hexes on the map you are working on now. It is time to draw in the spiral shape at position 21, 14, which means 21 across and 14 down, measured in hexes. So I'll talk about that for a moment too, because it's not quite the same as what you're used to on the traditional Iron Realm graph paper. So first, to illustrate what the coordinates actually mean, take a look at the column of hexes all the way on the left-hand side of your map. The hex in the upper left corner is considered position 1-1, that is to say, one across and one down. The hex directly under it is at position 1-2, whilst the hex under that is at position 1-3, and the hex under that is at position 1-4, and so on. Notice, just to the right of that column of hexes is another column of hexes. And although it is skewed slightly from the first column, a careful count will show that it actually has the same number of hexes. That is to say, there are 30 hexes in the first column and 30 hexes in the second. So how many columns are there? By moving across the top of your map, you will surely see that there are 40 columns in all. So when I give the coordinates 2114, your first task is to find the 21st column. So count across, one at a time, 
in order to find that, and once you've encountered the 21st column, you will need to count a total of 14 hexes down, with the topmost hex being 1, and the next hex down being 2, and so forth. Go ahead and locate position 2114 now. So you've located the position now. Go ahead and draw a spiral shape into that hex. This is the exact location where Solus has entered the Grumark's domain. And although we assume that the portal or entrance doesn't actually take up 12 miles, it may not be necessary to note any further detail since this hex most likely has the properties of other nearby hexes, which we shall be detailing shortly. So from this starting position, Solus first moves to the northeast, and by way of his journey, he discovers that this new hex is predominantly forest. So draw a representation of a tree in the hex to the northeast. Do you see which one that is? It's position 22-23. Hexes actually make it very easy to show movement in most directions. So once you've located that new hex, go ahead and draw a tree in there. I usually just draw a straight up and down line for the trunk, and then around the top of the trunk, a circular shape. Or of course, you can fluff out the circle a little bit if you think it looks more like a tree. Go ahead and do so now. Solus next moves to position 22-24. That is to say, he's moving south. This area is forested too, so add in a tree here as well. If you're having trouble counting hexes, well your maze master has thought of that for you too. In the Onyx Vault, I've dropped a different version of the Map Master's hex paper, and I've actually shaded every ten hexes so that you can count by tens and make it much, much easier to locate exactly the hex that you want. If you join the Iron Realm as a patron, you probably already have this bonus offering already. But if you haven't, why not go check it out and put this extra to use. In any case, from Solus's current position, he travels to the southwest, which is position 21-25, and put a tree there to show forest. Next he travels to the northwest, which is position 20-24, and he finds forest there as well. At position 20-23, Another forest at position 21, 23, another forest as well. In game terms, it'll actually take Solus a few days in order to explore this entire area. For traveling overland can take a very, very long time. But as you can see, hexes allow for simple movement to the north, to the south, to the northeast, to the northwest, to the southeast, and to the southwest. However, now that Solus is at position 21-23, he decides to travel next to the east. But because there is not a hex directly to the east, 
I actually move him through to the next hex in line, which is position 2313. Go ahead and locate it and enter a forest there. Are you getting the hang of it now? Good, because I'm about to detail the rest at a much quicker pace. From the current hex, Solus goes south and finds a forest, south again and finds another forest, travels to the southwest, mark a forest, southwest again, another forest, northwest, a forest, northwest, another forest, north, a forest, north, another forest, northeast, yet another forest, northeast again, another forest, and southeast, yet another forest, ending in position 2212. Solus is quite fortunate, for at position 2312, he has located a river. Rivers are drawn on maps with straight lines, but we mark them out slightly differently. Begin by placing a dot at the very center of position 2312, and put an additional dot in the hex just to the north of it. I'm going to indicate some other coordinates too, so put a dot at the center of each of these, and when I have given them all, you may connect them in any pleasing, winding manner you wish, demonstrating the river's travel throughout the hexes of the Grumark's domain. Lay your dots down according to the following coordinates. 2412, 2413, 2414, 2415, 2516, 2517, 2518, 2618, 2619, 2620, 2621, 2522, 2523, 2623, 2624, 2625, 2726, 2727, 2728, 2729, 2730, and 2830. Go ahead and connect them up in any pleasing manner you wish, though the southmost dot should exit off the bottom of your map whilst the topmost dot is to be left as it is, for what is beyond it is unknown. Solus has actually constructed a raft and used it to traverse the river, and this river wends through a forested area for some time. So let's take a look at the hexes to the east and west of each point on the river. In short, make sure that every hex surrounding the river has a forest marked into it, with the exception of the northmost hex, and with no forested area to be drawn any further south than 20 down. Go ahead and draw your trees in now. Have you finished your work? I will give the coordinates of all forests drawn, so you can spot check and see if you got them all. 2211, 2411, 2512, 2513, 2514, 2515, 2615, 2616, 2617, 
and position 23-16-24-16-24-17-24-18-25-19-25-20. Now as the river goes yet further south, the river now enters a swamp. So the symbol I usually use to mark a swamp would be five quick lines which appear together is almost like a flat upside down U. So you don't actually draw the U shape, but rather suggest it with five quick up and down lines. Go ahead and practice that now by drawing a swamp. In each hex that surrounds the southernmost part of the river. Very well. If you have finished now, I shall let you know the coordinates for each swamp hex. Check your work against it and see how you're doing with your new Map Master's secrets. The swamps are placed as follow 25, 21, 24, 21, 24, 22. 24, 23, 25, 24, 25, 25, 25, 26, 26, 26, 26, 27, 26, 28, 26, 29, 26, 30. And on the eastern side of the river, we have 27, 21, 27, 22, 27, 23, 27, 24, 27, 25, 26, 22, 28, 25, 28, 26, 28, 27, 28, 28, 28, 29, and 29, 30. Beyond this point, Solus takes his raft further south into the Grumark's domain. And I shall have another map for you coming soon. But for now, do double-check your work against that given by me in this segment. And why not grab the specially shaded extras from the Patreon page as well. I thank you for journeying in these strange wilderness territories of the Iron Realm. Following the battle with the quasi-skeletons, a secret treasure was taken from deep within the wall. Tonight, the profile of Kana's magic dagger. I detail for you now the third of the three weapons found, the White Light, also known as the Vicious Tooth. Class, Magic Dagger, World of Origin, Siratane, Former Wielder, Tenei, Neladia. Composition, Ivory and Wood. Length, 10 inches. Weight, 5 ounces. Base damage, 1 to 4. Combat bonus, plus 1, plus 1. Known powers, none. 
description. The dagger known as the White Light is composed of pure ivory, seated expertly into a black mahogany handle, which is in turn wrapped with black leather. All along its grip are carved a series of spirals, as well as a central symbol, an intricate line design displaying a glyph in the Ceritanian language, which means no fear. History. The plain of Saris has only one living world, the planet called Ceritane. That world is a massive ocean of lava, but there is one land mass that exists, and it bears the same name as its world. It is the continent of Ceritane. All shores of that continent are deadly, for the lava swells over them methodically by the will of the dark god called Dinestro. Most areas further in are likewise uninhabitable, since the reach of the poisonous vapors is far, for they roll in from the shore over many, many miles. Yet beyond that zone is a wasteland, and some extraordinary creatures do dwell there, and further in, beyond that, at the very center of that country, is a moderately habitable zone where the temperature is not burning and where there can be found several lakes and streams and foliage. Villages have arisen there, tended by an intelligent race, the Benai, slender humanoids with large black pools for eyes and light green skin. For most of the year they need no food, for the heat gives them all that they need. It is at this time that they work and mate and expand their territory as they may. During the times that Denester sleeps, however, all of this changes, for the warmth subsides and therefore can no longer sustain them. Yet as the lava recedes into the chasm surrounding Ciritane, the Benai are able to journey into the wasteland and sometimes even to the shore if the vapors have sufficiently receded. For they are forced out in their numbers across the wasteland in search of some other form of sustenance. One of their hunters in search of food for her starving village, a girl named Tanae, proved herself during such a time of the Dark God's slumber. She defeated a great animal, a gargantuan of immense size, called a Celepin. The animal had been ferocious, but she destroyed it using only the claws on her hands and feet, and by stinging its eyes repeatedly with the chemical barbs upon her tail. And she took its horn and made from it a sacred dagger. None before her had ever felled such a creature as this, and indeed, the meat had been sweet and had been more than enough to sustain her people until the end of Dinestro's slumber 
and the return of the heat. Because the event occurred during a triple eclipse, and because it had occurred during the 10,000th year since the Benai were created into the world, it was considered to be a happening of extraordinary importance. The dagger was declared to be a portent of great things to come for Tanay, and 500 years after, Tanay ascended to the role of queen for her people, uniting the tribes under her rule. The sacred dagger, which she called the White Light, was worn by her always upon her hip, and was the proof of her right to rule and of her wisdom and her courage. It is woven into the story of her legend, an ivory protector, symbol of her people and of their will to survive properties. The white light is a plus one, plus one dagger. So if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go join the premium experience too? Find out ways to get the pre-releases, the Iron Realm patron bonus cast, and early releases of every episode of the show. You may find it's easier to become a supporter of the show than you ever thought possible with rewards surpassing even the wildest imaginings of your fevered dreams. Patreon.com slash The Iron Realm. I'm looking forward to meeting you there. I am your Maze Master, Abel Enzo, and once more I call upon your might, O oh legendary powers. Join me again, and until then, may the realm remain safe in your trusted hands. Play hard or go home! Iron Realm! Be well, brave travelers, one and all.